Come on. And so we're continuing that series uh, to kind of look at the Bible and get a clear biblical understanding of what it means to be a family in this type of context as a church. And so today we're actually going to be in the book of James. So you can turn there now if you want or put on your iPads, your iPhones, whatever you've got today that uh, will help you look at the Word of God. I'm going to be reading out of the New Living Translation. It's page uh, 989 if you're interested. Uh, for all those who aren't reading the New Living Translation, I'm sorry. Uh, listen, before we uh, start, I want to apologize uh, for those who were here last Sunday. Um, I was a bit of a train wreck, I'm not going to lie. And, and you should feel very lucky that your pastor can acknowledge when he is a train wreck, okay? Um, there, there's so much going on uh, within family and within this church that sometimes for me being an emotion, I mean, I'm a musician, you got to understand that. I don't know, I'm, and I'm just not like a pastor trying to be a musician, you know what I'm saying, to like fit a role. I'm a musician, this is like in my blood, and sometimes my head is moving a, a thousand miles per hour, and I'm thinking over tons and tons of stuff and doing tons and tons of stuff, and, 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 and I guess the, 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 the bottom line of what I'm trying to get to is I know that I could have done better, you deserve better, and I plan on giving better. For those of you who encouraged me after service, thank you. Because it goes to prove that even in my weakness, he can be strong. And so I'm not trying to put my confidence in myself or my ability to communicate. Um, but it is such a comforting thing to understand or to see that God still uses your weakness. I think some basic good principles were, were, were given, but it's not necessarily the way that I desired. So I apologize, and I'm here to start fresh and anew. Amen? Okay. Thank you. Thank you for your love, and thank you for your grace, and hopefully we'll do better today. Um, anyways, turn with me, if you're not already there, to James chapter 2. We're going to start right in verse 1. We're going to get right into the Word of God this morning. I entitled this message, Favoritism. <laughs> Favoritism. Why? Well, because this is what James is talking about, essentially. And I think it is an important aspect, if you would, to church life. And let me explain why I think that. Let's read. My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? Now, let's just stop there. The question has been asked by James. How can you claim to have faith? How can you essentially claim to be a Christian if some are favored more than others? And I think we can draw the conclusion that James is saying, listen, faith and favoritism are incompatible. They're incompatible. Christianity, what? Has no favorites. Has no favorites. Um, it knows no partiality. Um, Peter affirms this in Acts chapter 10.34 where he states himself that God shows no favoritism or is not a respecter of people or persons. Matter of fact, if God did show that he had favorites, none of us in this room this morning would qualify. Romans chapter 2 verse 11 also Paul states and says that even when it comes to our ethnic background, our upbringing, that God shows or has no bias. Come on, that's a comforting thing this morning, isn't it? 
that although some here today in this room right now may feel like you're on the outside of different social cliques. Listen, let's not be, let's not be naive in thinking that the church doesn't have little cliques and little groups that maybe uh, you have tried maybe to be part of that group and have failed. I've talked to some of you. But, but essentially, James is just saying, listen, God has no uh, favorites. And in your faith, or as you do this thing called Christianity, you yourself can display no favoritism at all. You know, as a pastor, I try to let many people into my life. I'm not just trying to make friendships with those who benefit what I'm doing. I'm not just trying to make a relationship and friendships that benefit uh, what the church is doing or my family or whatever. I'm not looking just to connect with people that maybe could be a blessing to this church financially or musically or any other thing, preaching. I, I, I want to break down the walls of maybe certain things and behaviors that I may be prone to doing as a pastor because I realize that in my faith, in, my, in this Christianity, I should have no favorites. No favorites, regardless of how relationships benefit us. James chapter 2, verse 2. For example, he goes on. Now, let's understand that the example that James is about to give is just that. It's an example. And for me, that means that this kind of favoritism or partiality has, has many faces, many types of ways that it manifests But this is just an example that James gives. He goes, suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry, and another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. Verse 3, if you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, you can stand over there. Or else, you know what, just sit on the floor. Well, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives. Isn't that a powerful word, especially in today, what's going on? The word discrimination. I mean, think about what's un, kind of folding in our culture today. I don't even think it's unfolding. I think it's just it's something that's always been there. But it's kind of coming to the surface, this, this racial, te- racial tension in our nation. And I love that James doesn't, you know, try to be easy in his language here. He says essentially that your favoritism discriminates. And in this example, we can see just that. You know, I remember when I was a kid, I I was, my parents are here, thank God. I'm so glad they didn't show up today. They always kind of say, hey, we're coming to church. I'm like, oh, my God, I've got to be careful what I say. There's so many things to apply when it comes to the gospel about my upbringing. <laughs> but when I was a kid, I, I was poor. I don't, I was, we were poor, okay? Family of five, just you get a picture of poverty. We were that family. And because of that, you know, I wasn't, like, privy, I think, even or even had a chance to get the latest fashions. I think at the time it was, like, Z. Cavarici. How many here were in that era of Z. Cavarici? Michelle, I'm so sorry for showing our age. Our guest jeans. How many guest jeans, anybody? Yeah, those were the big kind of 
fashion trends at the time. <laughs> I know some of you are like, how old is he? Well, let's just, let's not go there, okay? Let's not go there. But I remember just because of some of the things that I couldn't afford and we couldn't have as a family growing up, I was kind of treated badly. I was kind of put on the outside, actually made fun of and kind of embarrassed. I'm not trying to get sympathy today. I'm just trying to use this as an example. You know, I think it's safe to say that the example that James gives us in chapter 2 um, is or can relate to many uh, faces or many, you know, examples of what it means to show favoritism. You know, interestingly, when we study the context of this chapter, the example that James gives us in chapter 2, verse 2 through 4, when he compares the differences of clothing and posture, we discover that the scene is that of a church court. I never knew, knew this, but back in these days, the church was both a house of prayer and a community court. And, and, and you can get that example if you want one in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1. The language of impartiality would normally apply to legal settings. Synagogues, again, served as both houses of prayer and community courts. And get this, Jewish laws demanded at that time that both parties either sit at the same level or stand at the same level. It also demanded that if one were rich, he would either pay to dress the poor man in clothes like himself, or he would dress himself in shabby clothes like the poor man. And this was all so that in the court, and they're making a decision and bringing justice to a situation, that there could be no discrimination just because of dress. It was said that uh, in this day, Roman laws um, explicitly favored the rich. We could relate to this today. Some of us, maybe not, but most of us can as we look at our, our news organizations and we see what's happening. But at this time, in, in this era, um, Rome was favoring the rich and the lower cr- class um, were suspected to have uh, an act with, or, or act with economic self-interest. The lower class could not bring accusations against the higher class. And the law that was prescribed to the lower ca- class was harsher than to the higher class. And so James identifies this. And I, I don't know if, well, I do know that this is applicable in some way. I think it's applicable because of the day that we live in where a lot of people feel the tension of the rich and, and just it's all for their benefits and it only uh, is for their welfare and the poor crying out, hey, let's distribute this puppy. I mean, I don't get it. But how can it relate to us here now in this place? I think it can. I think it can. I, I would dare t- to believe that some of you at some point have felt put on the outside. It's been hard, maybe, for you to enter into some relationships here. And, and, and listen, you know, I just, let's just acknowledge the elephant in the room. Some of you are just socially awkward. 
You don't make it easy. No, but come on, guys. Like, I'd rather talk to a wall. I'm not trying to be hard, but just trying to say, listen, like, if you want to kind of get over the, the, the hill of, you know, connection, then maybe you should let your defenses down and not be so awkward when somebody tries to reach out to you, tries to have a conversation with you. I'm not trying, I'm really not trying to be funny. I know that some of you are laughing, but it's just the truth. For whatever reasons, um, I think what could help is if we could, and, and maybe there's a reason, maybe, maybe there's a valid reason for some of the awkwardness. But seriously, you know, I, I try to be very intentional in this area, and, and it is hard sometimes to even get like a couple words out of some people for whatever reason. But this, but but here's the here's the kicker. Although that was funny, right? That was real funny, right? But here's the kicker. Maybe if the church was a welcoming place, maybe it was, maybe if it was really inviting, and we didn't have like these different groups. I mean, one thing that I do with the worship team, I'm like, you know, guys, listen, we can pray. You know, pre-service prayer. I mean, we we do like every day of the week of prayer. You know, but we can pray before service just to have our hearts kind of centered around Christ and such. But you know what? You know what would be even more like important that I would really love? If you would go talk to people that you don't know. So maybe if the church was more welcoming, maybe if it had more of the heart of a family, maybe some of those social kind of dynamics wouldn't be so prevalent. Wouldn't wouldn't be even an issue. I don't know. But here it is. If you today, listen, there's, I can say I'm socially awkward. I am. Like, just because some, thank you, Michelle. <laughs> and maybe it's because I'm bubbly. Maybe it's because I'm like, ah, how you doing? I'm really like, you know, kind of intense. But you know what? There's another extreme to that. When you try to be loving towards a person, they're like, hi, how you doing? Yeah, so, you know, yeah, I moved here three months ago. Yeah, I'm going to be you, yeah. Yeah, I'm, yeah, you know, I just, I heard about it on the internet. Like, let's, let's, let's have a conversation. Let's connect. Let's bridge this gap between our social differences, if you would. A very... Anyways, I, I mean, I feel it. I feel it. There's water now if you want some. Um, I feel it when people come in and, and some of the same old people that have good friendships are just clustered around one another and they're just talking, having a good time, and there's somebody just sitting in the back. Nobody is paying attention. That's not right. That is not right. That is not church. That is not family. And it is huge to me. And so maybe we can break down both of these walls of being socially awkward, intense, or kind of in a shell by just being loving and warm to one another, having no favorites in our, because of our cliques. Now, I know there's some people that you're going to relate to more than others and that you're going to have deep, meaningful relationship uh, with than you can others or everybody. But we can try. We can put forth the effort to change 
kind of the atmosphere of organization and just come and take up a seat. We can change that type of mindset by just being loving and going out and touching people's hearts. Turn with me to John chapter 7. Is this okay? I'm sorry about the socially awkward thing, but you will understand that I kind of don't shy away from hitting anything. You know, I I will say it. You know, I, I will address the elephant in the room. And so I mean nothing of ill will against those who are introverted. I've, I, I, I do not have, uh, and, and, and for the most part, I'm more looking at my own behavior as an extrovert and saying, hey, listen, maybe I can kind of connect with somebody's heart that may be different than me, may be introverted, but it will never happen unless I can break out of some of the cliques or some of the friendships that are more comforting, that are more safe. John chapter 7, starting in verse 16. Now, I'll use this to illustrate that Jesus identifies with discrimination. He, if anybody in the Bible, well, not if anybody, but one of kind of the most important figures that we see in the Bible was so misunderstood. So there's hope. And this is just one of the examples, starting in verse 16. So Jesus told them, my message is not my own. It comes from God who sent me. Anyone who wants to do the will of God will know whether my teaching is from God or is merely my own. Those who speak for themselves want glory only for themselves. I love that. It's not necessarily my point, but it will kind of, I think, capture the kind of essence of this text. But a person who seeks to honor the one who sends him speaks truth, not lies. Moses gave you the law, but none of you obeys it. In fact, you're trying to kill me. Thou shall not kill. Going on to verse 21, Jesus replied, I did one miracle on the Sabbath, and you were amazed. But you work on the Sabbath too. When you obey Moses' law of circumcision, actually the tradition of circumcision began with the patriarchs long before the law of Moses was given. For if the correct time of circumcising your son falls on the Sabbath, you go ahead and do it so as not to break the law of Moses. So why should you be angry with me for healing a man on the Sabbath? And here's the kicker. Verse 24, all that to say this. Jesus says this in verse 24. Look beneath the surface so you can judge correctly. This is a cross-reference verse to James chapter 2, and Jesus essentially is telling these guys who are falsely accusing him, who have uh, misguided judgments to say, hey, look a little deeper. Look beyond the surface. Can I just say that that's going to be kind of one of the, the trademarks of being able to galvanize our relationships when it comes to people who come in. It's looking a little beyond the surface. There is wealth. There is a treasure within every one of us. And if we just, if we just go from observing the outside or the clothes or maybe the speech and it seems a little off, You're never going to connect. But if you can look beyond those things, say, what what investment can I make? Am I I judging this person rightly? And Jesus says, listen, 
look beneath the surface when it comes to me. And then your judging will be correct. Jesus challenges the accusations of these people with these words in verse 24. We already read them. Now, if the truth be told, we all have certain tendencies to show favoritism. I certainly do. And they originate from observing the superficial. This is so important. Don't check out on me. Rather than taking a look beyond, right? That's what we just talked about, what Jesus just kind of brought into play. We tend to put everyone on some kind of category, higher or lower than other people. It often has to do with their looks. It has to do with their wardrobe, even in some cases. It has to do with the kind of car they drive, the kind of house they live in. Sometimes it has to do with their race. Sometimes it's their social status. Sometimes their outward characteristics or personality. All of those things with God are non-issues. They are of no significance to him at all. They mean absolutely nothing. And I would just dare to say if they mean nothing to God, they should mean nothing to us. Let's look at Jesus in his impartiality in John chapter 4. Well, let's set the stage here. We all know the story of the woman at the well. Raise your hand if you know the Samaritan woman who Jesus encountered. Um, Here in John chapter 4, it's important to understand that at this time in history, there was animosity between Jews and Samaritans. And interestingly enough, the route to the Gentile country of Galilee was shorter in respects that it took less to travel through Samaritan to Galilee. In those days, it was unusual for a woman to be visiting the well. Most theologians believe that this was because this woman was an outcast. She was a bit of a misfit. And Jesus did two things by sitting down with this woman. He disarmed or overcame two prejudices. One, he simply talked to a Samaritan woman, given the animosity that was between them. Two, he just simply talked to a woman. The Samaritan woman here is comparing Jacob. I'm just going to kind of summarize the text because... I don't want to read the whole story. But here the uh, Samaritan woman was comparing Jacob who dug the well. It suggests that her mind, in her mind, excuse me, Jesus was inferior to Jacob. Thank you, Izzy. I sweat every time I have to teach. In her mind, Jesus was inferior. Jacob built this well, was her remarks. Who could be greater than Jacob? Much like to the Jews, Abraham was kind of that prolific figure. Who's greater than Abraham? We're sons of Moses. Moses, you know, that kind of just treating each other as inferior people. Um, and we all know that the real superiority, 
So purity of Jesus was in the living water he provided. Let's read a little bit of the text here. John chapter 4. Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making disciples more than John. Though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea to return to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village near the field of Jacob, gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired uh, from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well. About noontime, the hottest part of the day. Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, please, give me a drink. He was alone at the time. It was probably better that he was alone because most likely... embarrassing uh <laughs> most likely if his disciples were there they probably would have called into question jesus's actions what are you talking to the samaritan woman for the very aspect again of her being there um, as it was unusual for a woman to be at the well especially at this time of day um, would lend to cause us to believe that she was an outcast and that should speak Right into those maybe here who today in this church or in the church in general feel like they are an outcast. Feel like in many ways they cannot connect. Feel like in many ways they cannot find their place. They cannot find their outlet, their their relationships that will help them mature, help them grow. Can I just say that we all have a part to play in discipling one another? You know, one thing that is becoming, I'm, I'm becoming increasingly aware of, is that I in of myself, I touched upon this last Sunday, and Bethany cannot disciple everyone here. I can't. It's, it's, it's impractical. And honestly, at the end of the day, me and Bethany, our marriage would suffer. But what we can do is take responsibility for one another. We can, in a way, disciple one another. Meaning, you can find today, hopefully by the grace of God, two or three people that you can invest your life into, that you can meet with, pray with. Maybe even somebody that's just not like, oh yeah, I, I totally get along with John. I could, I could disciple him. I could be, be totally just like unawkward, like totally just a, a good thing. But, but maybe God would say, I don't want you to do John. That's easy. I want you to... Connect with somebody maybe you don't even know. Maybe somebody that you even tried to reach out to, and it was awkward. <laughs> but, but, but really, I mean, maybe we need to break down the walls. Maybe some of us could take ownership for others, meaning that we pray with them. Maybe we meet with them weekly. Maybe we have coffee. Maybe there's a phone call. There's something happened where we're giving life to one another. That's the awesome thing about the church. Listen, we don't do this just, you know, meaning Sunday morning, just to have a time where we can work hard and gather a bunch of people. We we do church because we want to do Christianity well. And as far as my observation of the Bible, 
It's the one way as a believer that I'm going to do Christianity well is with others. You know, I get to meet with a lot of people, pray with a lot of people, and usually it's over problems, right? It's over these, these dark situations, these hurtful, just broken places in our life. But, 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 you know, what does it look like when we're, when we're not necessarily just focused on the dark, broken areas of our life, and we're looking at the Scripture and wondering, God, how can we mature? How can I give out, Lord? How, as I've been freely... Listen, you, you cannot give if, if what's forever before your face is your brokenness. I'm not trying to get you to be uh, naive or clueless, but some of your problems, some of our problems is when it comes to our brokenness and our baggage and our darkness, is we are just not giving out. We're not, we're not, we're not, we're not resourcing others. We're just constantly focused on the negative in our life. And I don't know for the moment that my eyes got taken off the negative is when I decided to invest into somebody. And you know what I I come to realize is a lot of my sore spots, a lot of my brokenness, like there was there was like a sense of 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 something in common that I had that I could actually we could work together. But 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 I I just want to encourage you, like take the chance and invest your life and don't just go to somebody that is easy and that's somebody that you already have a relationship of course do that too but maybe you maybe maybe you want to reach out to somebody who's on the outer fringe who's who's not yet part of the family or this church family they're kind of they're here but they're not here you all know what i'm talking about Guys, we, I can't do this alone, but we could do it together. And it's only going to happen as we take responsibility and we stop just looking at church as a, as a way to receive, but to give. It's more blessed to receive than, I'm, it's more blessed to give than receive. This isn't an easy job trying to convince all you guys. Lead worship and all this stuff, it's, it's tricky. But yeah, but you understand the heart of what I'm trying to say. Like, I, again, did not sign up and start this church to build some kind of organization. I started it because I wanted to see a family come out of this. And it grieves me. It pains my heart that only a certain amount of people have been brought into that family and that others still feel outside of the family. Now, I know that's both ways. I know that takes me taking action and them kind of trusting. But, but, but it pains me to see those struggling trying to be a part. And for those who are struggling to be a part, listen, just let your defenses down. Let your defenses down. I, listen, the church is not perfect. I know you've probably been hurt by the church. There's probably things that have happened and you've had experiences. But by the grace of God, you won't have those here. And if you bring your past into your present you probably will reproduce your past. Come on, somebody. I mean, are you hearing me? Yeah. 
Thank you. I mean, come on. Are we at a funeral service or this church? But I'm not trying to be hard. I'm just, I want to see this kind of around the mountain Christianity end. I'm inviting everyone today that feels on the outer skirts of this ministry, of this fellowship to come in. To come in. And I'm challenging those who have their little cliques and their little social you know, safety clubs to break them up. Get involved. Get invested. Get your eyes off your problems and get your eyes and your hearts moved and motivated to invest into others. Do something. Do something. And if you are doing it, bravo. This isn't for you. I applaud you. Thank you. Thank you for investing. Thank you for taking time and and going out to coffee and connecting with people and loving people and talking to people. Thank you. For those who are just, you know, warming a seat on Sunday, please. Your best investment here at this church is somebody else. Somebody else that you can care for. Somebody else that you can love. Jesus said they will know they are Christians by their love for one another. They will know that they are my followers because of their love for one another. I think it's one of the best tools of evangelism that Jesus has has given the church. Is that we love. And that's just not some four-letter word that we're throwing around, guys. We have to learn to love and love well. Come on. I want to love and love well. I don't just want my love to be for those who I'm comfortable with, who I'm safe with, who prays like me, sings like me, talks like me. God, I'm thankful that nobody else talks like me. But you understand what I'm saying? My love has to be expanded beyond that. And it's not just because I'm a pastor. It's because I'm a Christian. And in my Christian faith, there is no room or time for picking favorites. God help us. So can we do this? I mean, can we do this? Can we do this? Now, I know, listen... It's a bit inconvenient today to make room for others. It's a bit inconvenient to just let others come into your life, make time. Listen, for the last month and a half, every Tuesday and Friday, I'm having people over my house for dinner. It's inconvenient. It is. There's time for other things. And I'm not saying open your house once a week so somebody come and have dinner. That's not what I'm saying. But... I'm not just preaching a message. I'm not just kind of, you know, psychologically ascending to the words of Jesus. I'm living it out. It's inconvenient. A bit, you know, we're cleaning up the house. You know, guys are coming over. Ah, make some food. It's inconvenient. There's other things I could be doing, but you know what? It's where I'm at. It's what I want to be doing. I want to invest in others. I want them in my house. I want them feeling loved. Not that they're just participating. Not that they're just breathing air, sitting on a seat, paying their tithes. I don't want that. I want family. 
And I can't do this alone. I can't have everybody over my house. But you know what? Some of you can open your house. Some of you can just start with opening your heart. And that's what it takes. It's inconvenient. It, there, there's, there's not enough time. You know, and, and, and a lot of things can suffer if we're not careful. But I believe all of us, all of us working together, all of us taking one or two people under our kind of arms, so to speak, opening our homes, loving them, praying with them, talking to them, all of us together can do this and multiply the church because it's the greatest love. This kind of love, love for one another, is the greatest form, the greatest tool of evangelism we have as a church. And I'm not just trying to pull out the love card. I really sincerely do mean this. And I'm, even though it's inconvenient, I am allowing to start to steward or, or change my behavior where I feel the inconvenience, but pushing past that, pushing past that. And so we can continue just to cycle through people and add maybe 10 or 12 to the inner crew, you know, of Hilltop, or we can just open up our arms as a church and we can take responsibility for one another We can love and invest our lives into one another and we can see this thing grow and expand and not just lay upon the shoulders of 10 to 20 people, but the whole church, the whole church. So I say we have an opportunity. We have an opportunity. One thing that I touched upon last Sunday is I know the reason I am here today, the reason that I am saved today is because a community that I saw that was so loving and so opened their hearts to me, a sinner, a predator in many ways. I was messed up, jacked up, but they loved me. They didn't tolerate. They didn't tolerate my dysfunction and sin, but they loved me, and I was just so moved. And it so wanted to be there. I'm, I made every effort. <laughs> you know, like I was working hard at that time. I, I would come because they call me the tar baby because I that it's not racist. Okay, I'm sorry. But um, we were, uh, I, foundations, I have to put the tar on the foundations. And you'd only have like a two foot, um, like, you know, path to go. You'd be like this and you just get tar all over you. But I was so moved by the love that these people have for one another, I had to be there. I had to taste. I really, it was like, it was, I was addicted to it. It was so moving that somebody could see past my differences, my brokenness, and love me, and love me well. A lot of these things seem so elementary, and and I understand there's some parts where you're just like, okay, where is he going with this? But, you know, I, I think it's some of the most elementary things of the Bible that we neglect. And I, I, the way I figure is let, let's, not, let's not master, but let's move towards those things that seem so like the one, two steps of Christianity before we get into, you know, the deep parts and, 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 and try to. Not, not go blindly uh, in this journey thinking that if, you know, that we can neglect just what is so elementary. I don't want to neglect it, guys. And I don't want 
as Hilltop continues to grow, I do not want us turning into an organization where people are just viewed like numbers. And if we're not careful, if we don't keep family at the forefront, and this is not just for me. Listen to me. Put Facebook away. We're, we're ending soon. Don't get... It's just, if we don't keep family at the forefront, we will turn just into that. We will turn into an institution who grows but never knows the people that we have and the needs that they have. And so can you help us do this? Can we do this? Can we do this? And if you're new here, I'm sorry. It was like a family meeting. Father, we thank you.